like a prosecutor building his case, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, will take us to God's Word to build the case as to why we should believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Graceful Truth is up next. And again, welcome. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse, the pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Today, we continue with our series simply called Why Believe the Resurrection? And we celebrated Easter and the resurrection just a few short weeks ago. So why believe it? What are some of the reasons that would compel us to believe that such a thing actually took place? So we'll see today, it's the certainty of his death the confidence of his disciples, the post-resurrection appearances that make for a convincing case. With more, here's Pastor Steve Converse in this edition of Graceful Truth. We believe the resurrection because of the prophecy of the Old Testament. We also believe the resurrection because of the prophecy of Jesus himself. But thirdly, because of the certainty of his death. We believe in the resurrection because Jesus died. That may sound a little odd at first, but it's important, very important to understand the certainty of Jesus' death. What do I mean by that? What I'm simply saying is that we believe in the resurrection because, you know what? Jesus was really dead. He was really dead in that tomb. All four Gospels, as well as the rest of the New Testament, record, they document the fact that Jesus was finally executed by crucifixion and that he truly died. Sometimes we read the Bible like it's a fairy tale, even as believers. And I'm thinking, how can I get the point across that Jesus really died? And I thought, you know what? Immediately, my mind went to members of my own family who I've gone to their funeral. And they were dead. They died. Hard time. They died. Same thing happened to Jesus. He died. He just didn't fall asleep. He was dead. His body gave up its life. He was every bit as physically dead as those loved ones that have gone on before us. He truly died. A couple centuries ago, a man by the name of Venderini promoted the idea that Jesus really didn't die. He simply slipped into a coma. Uh, Because of the trauma of, of Good Friday and all that was going on, he just couldn't take it. His body just shut down, and he went into a coma. And so they buried him, and when they buried him, he was in this cool tomb, and because it was cool, the coolness of the air kind of revitalized him. And suddenly Jesus kind of woke up and got out of there, and then he went around telling everybody that he was raised from the dead. I mean, we look at that, and it's so ludicrous. But when you look at Scripture, it's even more ridiculous because the Apostle John absolutely shatters that viewpoint. If you turn over to John chapter 19, verse 30, this is biblical evidence from the, the, the Apostle John that Jesus was truly dead. In verse 30 of chapter 19 of John, it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That's Greek for he died. Okay, that's what that means. It says in verse 31, 
since it was the day of preparation, what's the day of preparation? Friday. And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. What's when Sabbath? Sabbath is Saturday, but when does it begin? It begins at sunset on Friday. So it was very important to take those bodies down. It goes on in verse 31. It says, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first. Remember, Christ was between two thieves, two other criminals who were crucified along with him. They broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with them. them. Verse 33 It says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Another fulfillment of prophecy that not one bone in Christ's body would be broken. Now, that passage describes what we could all agree is something that was very brutal. I mean, the process of crucifixion was one of torment, (laughs) When you hung on that cross, you could hang there for days. You just didn't die. Because the way that you would die, you, you would eventually suffocate. Because as you're hanging on the cross and your body under the weight and your hands are either tied or they're nailed and your feet are nailed, the only thing you could do is your body crushes down on your rib cages, stand up, take a breath, and then go back down. You could do that for a long time if your life depended on it. This is what was going on on that cross. And when the Romans, who were very, very good at death, they they had this down to a perfection. When they wanted to get home to their family or their friends and they were on cross detail, it's like, oh, let's get rid of these guys. You know, okay, get the hammer. I'm tired of them trying to stand up and take another breath. We'll just break their legs. And if you break somebody's legs, guess what? They're not going to stand. They're going to totally collapse. And you're going to suffocate within a few moments. Think of somebody taking a sledgehammer and just violently breaking somebody's legs. That's really what this is picturing. Archaeology that they have unearthed over in the Middle East, actually, they found one, one person who they actually believe was crucified because the evidence was there. And guess what? Both of their legs were broken. One was cleanly Broken, the other one was just shattered. So breaking the legs made it impossible for the victim to continue to push himself up in order to get that next breath to stay alive. And basically it it killed them by asphyxiation. So a team of soldiers on that day started with the man on each side of Christ. And when they got to Christ, the Bible says they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. Now these are hardened Roman soldiers. They know death. When they see it, they're accustomed to seeing and experiencing and recognizing death. So there's no doubt in their minds that Jesus was dead, according to verse 33. But it was very important for them as soldiers to make sure. Because if if a Roman soldier was derelict in his duty, if they were on cross duty and and somebody was uh, told to, to be crucified and they were to die on the cross... And somehow they lived through that. Guess what happened to that Roman soldier? He was crucified. He got the punishment of the person that maybe made it through. So they needed to make sure that these individuals were dead. 
And verse 34 says, but one of the soldiers, when he came to Christ, he realized that he was dead, so they didn't have to break his legs. But they said, "Ah, you know what, we just want to make sure. So it says he pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water, and he saw it, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that also you may believe. Now, when we see pictures of Christ on the cross, you know, you see this, this dainty little white man up there and, and he's hanging there and he's got maybe a little poke in his fingers and a couple of pokes maybe in his feet. And he's, you know, got a crown of thorns maybe on his head and there's maybe a little blood here and there. That's not the picture of a crucifixion. I mean, the person hanging on the cross would have been a bloody mess by the time they got there. And the soldier, when he came to Christ, he didn't say, ah, oh, you know, he looks dead. He said he's dead. But you know what? I got to make sure. He didn't take his sword and just go, let's see. Hey, Jesus, are you still alive? That's not what this soldier did. He took this sword and he placed it under the rib cage of Christ and he thrust it upward into his heart. And they knew how to do this. They did it all the time. He was certifiably dead. It wasn't just to stick him to see if he'd respond to a prick. Now, there's a lot of debate concerning the death of Christ. Why? Because if Jesus didn't die, then the resurrection doesn't really mean anything either. The soldiers knew that Jesus was dead. John witnessed it. Jesus didn't fall asleep. He didn't swoon. He didn't drop into a coma. He was certifiably dead. And you know what? In the first century, this wasn't even debated. It wasn't even questioned. And matter of fact, even Jesus' enemies agreed that he was dead. In Mark chapter 15, Pilate and the centurion both agreed that Jesus is dead. In Matthew 27, the scribes and the Pharisees, guess what? They agreed that Jesus is dead. In fact, the Sanhedrin made up a plan to seal the tomb so that no one could come falsely and steal the body and say, oh, he rose from the dead. They knew that he was dead. Paul makes it clear that Christ was dead in several places. Romans 5, 8, for one, we know this verse. But God shows his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Or 1 Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put guess what? To death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. But what about the evidence outside of scripture? Is there any evidence outside of the Bible? You say, well, that's all from the Bible. Well, I'm glad you ask because there's several extra biblical non-Christian sources that demonstrate the resurrection is true. One historian, Josephus, writes this, Pilate, upon hearing and accused by men of the highest standing among us, condemned him, Christ, to be crucified. And he goes on, and he, in this passage, in his writings, he goes on to speak about the crucifixion and the death of Christ. Another Roman historian says, Nero fastened the guilt of the burning of Rome and inflicted the most Exquisite tortures on a class of hate, on a class hated for all their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus or Christ, from whom name had its origin, origin, suffered the extreme penalty. That's 
Roman talk for crucifixion. Suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Other documents as well, from a secular point of view, Lucian writes this, The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. Even, listen to this, the Jewish Talmud, the Jewish Talmud writes, On the eve of the Passover, he was hanged. There's no debate about the reality and the certainty of Jesus' death. He didn't swoon. He didn't go into a coma and eventually revive himself. He was certifiably, totally dead. What that means then is that afterwards, he appears to many. It was clear that what? He rose from the dead. Fourthly, we believe in the resurrection not just because of the Old Testament or prophecies of Jesus himself or the certainty of his death, but fourthly, because of the confidence of the disciples. And this is a good one too. This is a fourth reason why we should believe in the reality of the resurrection. You know, whether you believe in the resurrection or not this morning, I want you to understand that Jesus' disciples believed that he rose from the dead. And you can look at this a couple of ways. First, they all believed and they all proclaimed that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that he had appeared to them, all of his disciples. Clearly, again and again, they made this claim. Minus Judas, of course. So let's let's take a look at this. These are eyewitnesses that Jesus himself chose for us to confirm his resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21... It says, God raised him up, loosening the pains of death. We already read this because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In Acts 2.32, this Jesus, God raised up and we were all witnesses. Clearly, the disciples believed this. During Peter's second sermon in Acts 3.15, it says, And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And we were all witnesses. Acts 3.26, God having raised up his servant, speaking of Christ. Or Acts 4.10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are all witnesses to these things. Peter, even in sharing the gospel in the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 40, he says this, but God raised him, speaking of Christ, on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, listen to this, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate, who drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify That he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Even the apostle Paul believed this. In Acts chapter 13 verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the forefathers. 
And Paul comes to Psalm 16, and he even cites, cites that psalm in Acts 13.33, speaking of the resurrection of Christ. Acts 17, verse 31 because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all, listen, by raising him from the dead. Paul even writes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins and according to the scriptures that he was buried And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then down in verse 11 it says, Whether then it was I or they, speaking of the apostles, so we preach and so you believed. This is what their whole ministry was based on, was the resurrection of Christ. They were fully confident that Jesus had been raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, they were so confident that they died. They gave up their own lives for this testimony that Christ had been risen from the dead. If you've done any study of different cults, you know that Joseph Smith was willing to die to confirm his testimony, but most of his followers fled. (laughs) They weren't. See, here the followers of Christ actually gave up their lives Let me remind you how they died. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome around 66 AD. James was beheaded by Herod Agrippa in 44 AD. John was banished to Patmos, the island of Patmos, and he died probably a natural death at Ephesus. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Philip died a martyr. Bartholomew was flayed to death. Thomas was martyred, perhaps speared to death in Madras, India. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, preached in Egypt and was eventually crucified there. Thaddeus preached in in the Syrian and Persian region and eventually was martyred. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Paul was beheaded. They all gave up their lives. Based on what? On the claim of Jesus came out of the grave, that he was the Lord and Savior. I mean, if you look at the list of the death of the 12 original apostles plus Paul, there was one suicide. We spoke of him on Friday night, Judas, who wasn't a true believer in Christ. There was one natural death, that's John. And there was 11 martyrs. Of the 11 martyrs, four were crucified, one was beheaded, one was flayed. And when you think of how they suffered, they obviously believed to their core what they were preaching and teaching. And they they went from this band, this motley band of followers of Christ locked in a room hiding from the Roman authorities to being a force that turned the world upside down. How did this happen? What changed them? It was the reality of the resurrection of Christ. They believed in the reality of the crucified and resurrected Christ. Well, the fifth thing here, the post-resurrection appearances. This is another reason why we should believe in the resurrection. One of the ways God chose to establish the reality of this event in Scripture was he gave us at least 13 post-resurrection appearances by Christ. He just didn't just show up once over 13 times. These appearances were 
to more than 500 people. They occurred in at least 10 different locations when you study it throughout Scripture. The first was on the morning of the resurrection. He appeared to Mary Magdalena. Remarkable story, John 20. Secondly, you have the other women on the same morning who came to the tomb. Later that same day, you had, he appeared to Peter and two of the disciples on, on the, uh, the, the Emmaus Road. The fifth appearance was also on the same first resurrection Sunday. They happened in a very small amount of time that evening to ten apostles without Judas, obviously, and Thomas wasn't there either. Judas, by the way, probably had already, he had already taken his life. All of those five occurrences occur that first Sunday when Christ rose from the dead. The sixth appearance was eight days later on a Sunday evening, one week after the resurrection. In that time, Thomas was there with the other apostles. The seventh appearance of the resurrected Christ was to the seven apostles in Galilee recorded in John 21. The eighth, it says, then Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 7, appeared to James, his half-brother. Matthew 28 tells us that he appeared to all the apostles in Galilee. Then you have the great commission where maybe all 500, all these people were there. And he appeared there. See, this is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection. And if you read that text, you can see where he implies. He says, hey, listen to this. This is a real event. As a matter of fact, you can go talk to the witnesses. Because when that book was written, some of the witnesses were still alive. Go visit them. They're in their mid-50s AD around that time. 20, 25 years had gone by. The 10th appearance was to all the apostles on that ascension. Then he appeared to Stephen in Acts 7. He also appeared to Paul in Acts 9. And then he appeared to John on the island of Patmos. John Wahlberg writes this in his book on Christ. He says, taken as a whole, the appearances are of such various character and to so many people under so many different circumstances that proof of the resurrection of Christ is as solid as any historical fact that could be cited in the first century. What else would God have to do to show us that Jesus was truly raised from the dead? Well, the sixth evidence of the resurrection of Christ is the conversion of the persecutor Saul or Paul as we know him. The conversion of Paul. Now, the reason I bring this up is because his conversion was so, such a, a transformation, such a m- miraculous change. I mean, let's remember who this guy was. If you read in Acts chapter 7, verse 57, it says, But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him, speaking the stoning of Stephen. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Paul before his conversion. Verse 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he crawled out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved, it says, of his execution. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. I'd also like to let you know that our Grace Bible Church Women's Ministry 2018 Spring Conference is coming up. The author and guest speaker will be Cynthia Heald, known best for her best-selling Bible study, Becoming a Woman of Excellence. Now, the conference will take place out of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, Living Like Jesus. It's May 18th through the 19th. Friday the 18th at 7 p.m. through 8.30, and then Saturday the 19th at 9 a.m. through 2.30. It'll take place here at the church, 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Breakfast is included as well as lunch. Total conference cost, just $20, with a love offering taken both Friday and Saturday evening. For more information, visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.